morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here and I'm so glad, so glad you decided to come to Soul City Church. I want to dive right into it today. So you're okay if we go just right in? Yes? Okay, good. Today I want to look at what a life of unleashed prayers look like. Last week, we kicked off this series of an unleashed life. We looked at what would it look like if we live unleashed with our love. And so today, I want to look at what would it look like if we lived unleashed with our prayers. Now, show of hands, how many of you would say you desire to have more prayer in your life? Like, if you look at your life, you go, you know what, I, I think that my life could use some more prayer. Okay, great, a lot of us in the room. Now, next, show of hands, how many of you would say, you know, I'm just praying way too much? Just way too much prayer, need to, need to take a little bit back. Me and God, we're just talking way too much. You know, I gotta, I gotta bring it down a bit. Yeah, not many of us are raising our hands. I've yet to meet a person that has said, you know, I think my problem is that I pray too much. Me and God, we, we talk way too much. Most of us, we don't make New Year's resolutions to pray less, right? We, we set goals and resolutions because we want to pray more. We, we want more of the practice of prayer in our life. We want to be more connected to God. We desire a connection with Him. But I think the tension, the tension that many of us face with prayer is we wonder, are we really doing it right? Like, like, am I really doing it right? Is this really how I'm supposed to pray? To pray? And maybe if it's, if it's not just am I doing it right, perhaps if you are praying, you're asking yourself the question, like, am I doing it enough? Have I hit my quota of prayer? Like, if there is a quota for how much God wants us to pray, have I hit it? And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at prayer in a whole different way. Because I think many of us deal with the tension of, am I doing it right? And am I doing it enough? And what if we looked at prayer through a totally different lens? What if prayer was an ongoing practice in our life? And so I, I wanna ask you this morning, I already asked you this a little bit, but I'm gonna ask you again, the eight o'clock crowd, they were with me, the 9.30 crowd, a little bit more so. And so I wanna ask you 11 o'clock, are you really with me this morning? Yeah. Okay, so when I say, are you really with me? I mean, like, there's going to be moments where you're going to be like, come on, give me some more of that. There's going to be moments where you're going to be like, amen, amen, come on, amen. Now, see, this is what I'm concerned about, okay? <laughs> this is what I'm concerned about. That's, that's your moment, right? Like, yes, preach it, right? So I'm, I'm asking, like, are you with me this morning? Yeah. Okay, good. You're, you're with me this morning. I trust you, 11 a.m., so we're going to dive right in, Okay. Okay, there's two people that know what's up this morning. The rest of you, the rest of you, I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible. It's in the seat back in front of you, or it is under the chair in front of you, and we're going to dive right in, and we're going to look at an entire chapter of Scripture in the New Testament today. I want you to turn to Matthew 17. It's in the New Testament. It's found on page 687, and I want to give you a little bit of history as to what's happening in this passage. Give you a little bit of context, a little bit of backstory as to what we're gonna study today as we go through the entire chapter of Matthew 17. Matthew 17, it starts off with this extraordinary moment that takes place, okay? There's this moment and, and what happens is Jesus, he goes to three of the disciples. 
He goes to Peter, James, and John, and he says, hey, guys, I, I want you to go on this field trip with me. I, I'm going to take you away from the group, and I want you to go on this little, this little scavenger with me. And he takes them, and they go up onto this mountaintop. Okay, so, so Peter takes, or Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they, they climb up onto this mountain. And when they get to the top of the mountain, Jesus transforms before their eyes. His human body literally becomes transfigured in front of them, it says. And, and we're going to look here, Matthew 17. This is what it says happens. It says, there he was transfigured before them. His face, so Jesus' face, it shone like the sun. And his clothes, they became as white as the light. And just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So you, you got to imagine the scene, right? Peter, James, and John, they are witnessing something that no one else has ever seen. Jesus takes them on this field trip. They go up on this mountain. Jesus transforms before their eyes. And then there's Elijah and Moses standing with Jesus. I, I mean, if I were in that moment, I'd be like, okay, where is my cell phone? I have got to get a picture. Like, smile, Elijah, right? Like, you're just thinking to yourself, like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe Jesus is, is transformed in front of me. And there's, there's Moses who represents the law and there's Elijah who represents the, the prophet. And so the whole Old Testament is kind of spanned out in front of there. And there's Jesus, the son of the living God. And, and, and they're standing there in front of Peter, James, and John. And can you imagine? Can you imagine what they're thinking can you imagine what's running through Elijah, or Peter's head and James's head and, and John's head? And, and in this moment, Peter kind of gets eager and he gets excited and, and he realizes what's happening and that, you know, this is an extraordinary moment. And so he kind of says to, to the guys, he's like, listen, guys, you just stay right here and I'm going to build you a shelter. You stay right here on this mountain and I'm going I'm to build each of you an individual shelter. Like, would you like a shared bathroom? Are you okay if it's like, you know, like, I'm going to build you a shelter. And, you know, Peter, I think, sometimes gets a bad rap in the New Testament. But I get what it is that he wants to do here. You see, he's, he's experiencing something that no one else has ever experienced before. And what he wants to do is he wants to contain this moment. He wants to put it into a structure. He wants to make sure that, that he can never leave this extraordinary moment that he's having with God. I, I mean, think about it in your own life. Ever had a, had a moment in your life that's so good? Like ever, ever been at, like a, at a game or at a movie and it's so good you just don't want it to end? Or ever have such a great meal that you're like, oh, I don't ever want there to be a last bite. I want this meal to go on and on and on. Or, or ever hear a sermon that was just so good. <laughs> it was just so good and you just kept saying like, amen, give me more, keep going and going. I got all day. I'll just stay here all day to hear the teachings of God, right? I mean, that's what's happening for Peter. He doesn't know how long this moment is going to last. And so he offers to build a shelter so that he can contain the experience for as long as possible. The Bible, it, it continues on in Matthew 17, 5. And it says that while, while Peter is offering to build this shelter, that it literally says that while he was still speaking, 
a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And what are the next words? Listen to him. Listen to him. God's instructions to Peter, James, and John are to listen to Jesus. God could have given so many different instructions in this moment. And his only instruction is to listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. It's so simple. It's so direct. It's so clear. Listen to Jesus. I wonder how many of us came this morning and that's the only thing we needed to hear. Listen. Listen to Jesus. You know, oftentimes what what makes it so hard for us to hear the voice of God, to actually listen to Jesus is our preoccupation with our own voice. We can't hear the voice of God. We can't hear what Jesus is saying because we are so wrapped up in our own minds with our own voices that we can't hear the voice of the Savior speaking to us. And God says here, my only instructions are listen. Listen to Jesus. And in this moment, the disciples, they they fall to the ground. I mean, this is extraordinary. They've never experienced anything like this. And so they fall to the ground and they're dealing with with this fear. And Jesus kind of looks down to them and kind of scoops them back up and says, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. And when they look back up and they open their eyes, it's just Jesus standing there. Elijah's gone. Moses is gone. Jesus is no longer transfigured and he's just standing there before them. And in a moment, the moment is over. And the, the disciples, they, they eventually, they walk back down the, mo- the mountain with Jesus and, and they're trying to understand. I mean, can you just imagine? They're trying to understand what did we just see? Why did Jesus take us up there? Why did he want us to experience that? Why did he want us to, to hear the voice of God? In this moment that we're looking at here in in Matthew 17, this moment is referred to as the transfiguration. Maybe you've heard that that word before. You've heard that concept before. It's referred to as the transfiguration. It's found here in Matthew 17. It's also found in the Gospel of Luke. and, And literally volumes of books have been written on this. Theologians, thought leaders, pastors, they have studied this passage trying to understand why Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John to see and experience this moment. You see, what happens is Peter, James, and John, they've just experienced something that no one else has ever experienced. They see with their own eyes, don't they? They hear with their own ears the glory and the power and the voice and the magnificence of God, this, this hasn't happened to anyone else. And they experience what so many of us have probably prayed to experience. I mean, have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, would you just write it in the sky for me? Like, here's my prayer. I just need a clear, direct answer. I, I, I just like, however you could do it, God, I'm gonna only ask for this once in my life. For the rest of my life, you don't have to do it again, but just this one time, if you could just tell me, what do you want me to do? 
You know, like maybe you've had that moment where you just, you, you hate your job, right? I, I love my job, but maybe you hate your job, okay, right? And, and, and you're driving to work and, and you're at the stoplight and you're like, oh, how many more days am I going to drive to work? I, I hate what I do. I can't stand, you know, how I have to spend my time. And so you're, you're there at the stoplight and you're like, okay, God, this is the moment. This is the moment. The light is red. And I'm telling you, Lord, if somebody pulls up alongside of me, and they are in a blue car, Lord. That is the sign that I am going in today and I am turning in the resignation letter. But Lord, if it's a red car, if it's a red car, Lord, that's the sign. I'm gonna stay in this job. And so you, you sit there and you're like, I'm praying for the blue, I'm praying for the blue, I'm praying for the blue, right? And then what happens? A silver car pulls up, right? I mean, we've all had these moments, haven't we? We've all had these moments where we just want to say to God, just, just make it simple. Just make it clear. If you just write it in the sky, if you just send me an email, God, I would take an emoticon. I'd take an emoticon, Lord. I would take a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I'm even into smiley faces. Like there is a part of us, right? We just want to hear, God, what do you want me to do? We just want to hear the voice of God. And that's what Peter, James, and John experience. They hear the voice of God. They see the presence and the glory and the magnificence of God shining in front of them. This extraordinary moment. And, and they're, they're coming down off of the mountain, right? I mean, they literally had a mountaintop experience. You ever hear people talk about like a mountaintop experience with God? There's literally happened on a mountain, right? And they come walking down the mountain. And Jesus and the disciples, they head back into town and instantly as they're walking into town, this crowd forms around them and they're kind of used to this. They're kind of used to, you know, the fact that people always kind of swarmed around Jesus because they loved his teaching. They loved watching him heal. And so this crowd starts to form around the disciples and around Jesus. And in the crowd, a man walks up to them and, and he's a father, he has a son and, and he walks up to the disciples. And we don't know if all of the disciples are there. It doesn't say in Matthew 17, but, but we do know that, that Peter, James, and John are there. And so this father walks up to the disciples and he says, my son is, is struggling. He has seizures and he's suffering greatly. Will you heal him? And the father goes to the disciples. He doesn't go to Jesus. Jesus is there in the crowd and he goes to the disciples that had just been in the presence of God. And we don't know everything that happened because it's not recorded here in Matthew 17. But what we do know is that the disciples couldn't heal the boy. They couldn't heal the boy. And so the father decides like, okay, well, my son is struggling. My son has these seizures. So I need to see the man in charge. Like I need the manager on duty. You guys weren't able to do what I needed you to do. So he goes to Jesus. He says, your disciples couldn't heal my boy. Will you heal him? And Jesus heals the boy. And the disciples are stunned in this moment, right? They're stunned. They were just with God. They just heard the voice of God. They just saw the presence of God. And they don't understand why Jesus was able to heal the boy and they weren't. And so they, they literally, they walk up to Jesus and they say, listen, why couldn't we do it? 
Why did you take us up onto that mountain and let us see what we saw and hear what we heard and why couldn't we heal him? And jump over to Matthew 17, 20 and this is what Jesus says to their question. He replied and it says, because you, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And what does Jesus say? Nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now Jesus doesn't say to the disciples in this moment, okay, here, I'm gonna break it down for you. I'm gonna tell you why you couldn't heal the boy. Here's what the problem is. You didn't pray right. He doesn't say, you didn't pray long enough. You know, if you just would have added maybe like another paragraph to that prayer, maybe the boy would have been healed. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, well, you just, you didn't pray with the right words. Like, you got to use the right words to, to heal the boy. Jesus says nothing about prayer in this moment. What he says is that it's their faith. Their faith. He says, it's because you have so little faith. And when Jesus uses the word faith here, the translation of the word literally means confidence and trust. It's confidence and trust. And so Jesus is saying, it's because of your little confidence and your trust in what it is that I can really do. And here's three guys that were literally just up on a mountain with the presence of God. And they come down and Jesus says to them, you have no confidence in me. You have no trust in me, the one who heals. And you know, I wonder, I wonder if the curtains were pulled back in each of our lives and if we were the ones standing there with Jesus on that day in that dirt, would the same be true of you and would the same be true of me? Do we really live in a thriving relationship with Jesus where we have full confidence and full trust in who Jesus is and what he says he will do? You see, I think we're more likely to come to God with our preference of how we want him to do things. And if he does things the way we want him to do things, then we hand over our trust and then we hand over our confidence. And so we're waiting independent to see if God is gonna do what we asked him to do. And if he does what we asked him to do, then we give him our trust and we give him our confidence. And I don't want you to get me wrong here today because all throughout the scriptures, God is so clear and he invites us to, to bring our requests to him, to, to pray bold prayers of faith, to ask him to move, to ask him to, to take mountains and to put them over here, to do the impossible. And, and there's nothing wrong with asking God to move. In fact, God loves when we do that. God loves when we come to him and we say, God, will you do this? I trust you, I believe in you. 
There's not a prayer that you have prayed that God has not heard, even the prayer that you prayed while you were sitting at the stoplight. God hears every single one of our prayers. But I wonder if we have become better at telling God what to do instead of trusting God in what he will do. We've become a people obsessed with telling God how to do his job instead of trusting that the God of the universe knows what's up. And and our relationship with God is just us in a dictator kind of way, telling him, God, here's what I want you to do. Instead of growing a relationship that is built on trust, where confidence and hope can grow. You see, our... uh, our, our seven-year-old daughter, she, she's, she's really good at this. We have two kids, and um, they've kind of made a deal. They've kind of divided up, like, how prayer at meals is going to go in our family. Elijah takes the morning shift, and Gigi takes the evening shift. And so, you know, each morning, Elijah's on breakfast, and each evening, Eli- Gigi's on dinner. And Elijah, his prayers are kind of, you know, just the same each time. He's like, you know, Lord, I want a good day today. I don't want a lot of homework, and I'd really like waffles, right? And so uh, the prayers are kind of consistent each morning. Gigi, she comes with an agenda. She comes telling God what's up. And not just that, telling us what's up. And so oftentimes her prayer at dinner will start like this. She'll kind of like look around, like seeing if we've all opened our hands and bowed our heads. Like the poor girl, two parents as a pastor, it's rough for them. Okay. So she, she looks around, she's like, is everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed and their hands open. And so we all kind of like oblige and, and bow our head. And she's like, dear God, Thank you for today. Thank you for my family. Lord, I know that you know this, but I would have preferred pizza tonight instead of chili. And so maybe tomorrow night we could have pizza. And God, I'm hoping that there is a good dessert. And after dessert, we can play a game, watch a movie, and my parents will let us stay up later than our bedtime. God, if you could tell my parents that this is what you want them to do, I would be grateful. Amen. And no, I'm not kidding. That is how prayers go many nights in our house. I mean, she just comes with the straight agenda. And oftentimes I'm like, Chi, you did not talk to God at all. You were talking to me. Like, you are not talking to the God of the universe. And we tend to do the same thing. We come with a monologue agenda to God. If someone's sick, we say, God, you need to heal their sickness. If someone's struggling, we say, God, take away the struggle. If someone's hurting, we say, God, they need to not be hurting anymore. If someone needs a job, God, you need to give them a job. And many of us have developed a way of telling God how to do his job instead of trusting that he is at work. And do you remember what God said to the disciples during the moment of transfiguration? What did he say? Listen to Jesus. He said, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. You know, to be able to listen to Jesus, we cannot have our relationship with God reduced down to a monologue moment of prayer. And I just wonder if Jesus says to the disciples in that moment, listen, the reason that you have little faith is because you just want to tell me what to do. And what I want with you is I want a relationship with you. 
I want you to talk to me and I want you to listen to me. I, I don't want you to boil this whole thing down when, when I am gone into a monologue moment where we exchange prayers. Because leashed prayers, leashed prayers are a monologue. They're when we tell God how to do his job, how we want him to move, how we expect him to show up, how we want him to the, remove the pain, the difficulty, or the challenging situation that we're facing. A leashed prayer is a monologue. But an unleashed prayer, an unleashed prayer is a dialogue, isn't it? It's a dialogue between you and the God of the universe. Unleashed prayers are, are born out of the soil of a transforming relationship with Jesus. They're seasoned with us both speaking and listening. They aren't about us praying to get out of our circumstances. They are about God carrying us through our circumstances. And unleashed prayers, they don't have a boundary of time or of space. Unleashed prayers are, are ongoing, they're always happening. You see, to live a life that is unleashed through prayer means we have an ongoing practice of being in the presence of God. A leashed prayer tells God what to do, but an unleashed prayer trusts God with what to do. And an unleashed prayer is how we move through life in a constant communion with God, trusting him at all times that he is with us. You see, when, when we're living an unleashed life of prayer, our, our days kind of start with us waking up and just saying, good morning, God. Good morning, God. You're with me. And when we take a deep breath, say, thank you, thank you. You, you put those, those moments of breath into my lungs so that I could breathe. When we drink our coffee, we say, hallelujah, God. You are a good God. When we don't know what to do, we wait for direction. When we make a mistake, we're in an ongoing dialogue with God. We don't need to tell God about the mistake. He just saw the mistake. So we say, God, would you help me? Would you help me right now? I know you see what's happening. I know you see this mistake I just made. Would you help me? Would you help me not cover it up? Would you help me not lie? Would you help me not try and push this under the carpet? God, would you help me to know what to do right now? When we hurt someone, God knows we hurt them. Say, so God, would you, would, you, would you invite me into asking for forgiveness? Would you go with me? When we see the sun shining in the middle of winter, we say, God, please, more, more. When we struggle, we say, hold me, God. When we see someone hurting, we say, God, God, what is it you want me to do to help them? I know you see them hurting right here. What, what do you want me to do, God? What, 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 what do you want me to, to bring to them? When we don't know what to say, God, I'm listening. I'm listening to you. You see, an unleashed life of prayer trusts God with what to do with our circumstances. So instead of telling God what he already knows, we tell our circumstances who we know. Yes. Do you get the difference there? Instead of going to God and, and literally giving him a report on the circumstance that he sees happening, 
we go to the circumstance and we say, I want to tell you who I know. I want to tell you about my God. I want to tell you about who my faith is really in. So I want to ask you this morning, do you talk to God about your circumstances or do you talk to your circumstances about your God? Really, I, I mean, do you, are you just in, a, in an ongoing monologue relationship with God where you're just reporting your circumstances to him? Or are you in a dialogue relationship with him where you are going to your circumstances and you are in confidence and in boldness. You're saying, I'm gonna tell you circumstance about my God. Fear, I'm gonna tell you about my God because my God says that is the perfect love of the Father that casts out fear. And that's what I'm gonna to say to you today, fear. It's the perfect love of God that casts fear out. To you, loneliness. You're not gonna steal my mind and you're not gonna steal my heart because I'm gonna tell you about my God. My God says he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. I am never alone when I am with him. To the brokenhearted, to that broken heart, I'm gonna to say to that broken heart, you see broken heart, I know the one I know the one who binds up wounds and he's the one that's gonna hold my heart right now to the sickness. Do we say to the sickness, I know the one who heals. I know the one who heals. I don't always know how he does it. I don't know, always know when he will do it. I don't even know if it will happen, but I know the one who heals. You see, we have such a propensity to just tell God what to do instead of trust him in what he is doing. And, and friends, this lives, oh, this lives inside of me. I know where my daughter got it. I have such a one in me that wants to just kind of bark out my orders to God. God, if you could just do this, if you could get, just, just get this done. Lord, this person is struggling. They're hurting so bad. God, no, why? Why, why do they have to have cancer? God, would you just, would you take it away? No, God, not this, not this loss, please, Lord. They've been through so much. Just make this loss go away. And I, I just, I had one of those weeks. And maybe you've, you've had those kinds of weeks where every time you look at your phone or you open up your inbox, it's kind of another moment, another opportunity where it's just staring you straight in the face. And someone that I, love someone so close to me is just facing a an awful loss and Monday night I uh, went down to my office uh, we've got this small little office in our house and I needed to get a paper and I was going down, I knew it was right on my desk and um, so I was going down to get it and I've got these jars of mustard seeds all over my house. I'm kind of a junkie for mustard seeds. They're all over my office here, they're all over my house. I have jars of mustard seeds because of what Jesus says about the power of if our faith is the size of a mustard seed, we can say to a mountain move and it will move. And so I mean, I'm all about seeing the impossible done. So I've got mustard seeds everywhere. I can put them. 
and this jar is on my desk and I go down and it was sitting on this um, pile of papers that I need and I just grabbed it quickly and I don't know why but the, the, the top was off. So I grabbed the, the papers and of course the mustard seeds just kind of flew all over the place. I don't want it to happen again so I'm going to close the jar. Um, and these mustard seeds go all over my carpet, all over the room, all over the desk. I mean, they're just, they're all over the place. And so I instantly, I get down on my knees and I start picking them up. And it's like the God of the universe was like, Jeannie, Jeannie, I know you've been telling me what to do. I know you've been telling me how to handle this situation. And I love you and I hear you, but do you trust me that I am in control? Do you trust me that I, I've got this, that I'm God, I'm at work. I see things that you don't see. I hear things that you don't hear. I know things that you don't know, that you will never know, but I am God and I am good and I am in control. And you see, an unleashed life of prayer does not tell God what to do. It trusts that God is at work, that God has always and will always be in control. And oh, this is my hope for us as a church. If you were to ask me like, what, what do I most long for in 2016 for Soul City Church? Oh, I want us to be a people that are unleashed in our prayers. I'm gonna say it again, I only got one amen. Soul City, I long for us to be a people that are literally unleashed in our prayers. I mean, can you just imagine, can you just imagine what would happen if we actually trusted God? If all of our hope, if all of our confidence was in Him, if we stopped just telling Him what to do and we trusted that He knew what to do. You know, what's so remarkable to me, and Jared told me to take this out of the sermon, but I'm keeping it in right now. See, there's this moment, there's this moment that happens. I'm gonna say it really fast because I'm not gonna go over. There's this moment, you see, Peter, James, and John, who saw the transfiguration, they saw the glory of God, they saw Moses and Elijah, so they see Jesus, right? And they go down off the mountain, and what happens? Jesus says to them, Peter, you have small faith. James, you have small faith. John, your faith is too small. Well, fast forward the clock about a year and a half, okay? Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, but he's gone. And now Peter, James, and John are leading the revolution known as the church, okay? And there's a moment in Acts 4.13 where they're gathering together with all of the disciples and Peter's there and John is there and James is there. And do you know what it says about what happened when they were there? It says this in Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. The same guys, the same guys that Jesus said, your faith is too small, a year and a half later, something shifted because their prayers shaked the room. That's not good English, it shook the room. (laughs) 
And that's what I long for us to be as a church. You know, I, I love, I love what's happening here. I, I love, I love that there's people all over this building right now in overflow and we're coming and we're experiencing the presence of God. It's remarkable to me. It's amazing to me. But you know what I, I would just crumble inside over? If we all came here and we went to the cafe and we got our coffee and we checked our kids in and we said hi and we went to our small groups and we sang our songs and we said amen to the sermon, kind of, and then we went home and our lives were not unleashed. I don't want to play church with you. I think you are the most extraordinary group of people on planet earth. I think you are the greatest single church there ever was. And I'm totally impartial. Friends, I long for your lives to be unleashed. Unleashed. For you are unleashed in the presence and the power of God. And when you pray, you believe he moves. And you don't just tell your God what to do. You trust. You trust in your God with a firm confidence. And so I want to close our time um, praying together and you know, one of my favorite, favorite people is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We're gonna celebrate his life tomorrow all over the United States. And, and I believe that he was a man that lived unleashed. He was unleashed in his love. He was unleashed in his faith. He was unleashed in his prayer. Not a perfect man, but an unleashed man. And I wanna close our time praying a prayer that Dr. Martin Luther King prayed. I believe it is the kind of prayer that shakes walls that shakes the city, that, that turns things from just telling God what to do to trusting in him to move. So I wanna invite you to stand and, and this prayer is gonna come up on the screen. And I want us to pray this with boldness and with faith and with confidence believing that our God, our God wants to unleash his power in and through our lives. So thou, eternal God, out of whose absolute power and infinite intelligence the whole universe has come into being, we humbly confess that we have not loved thee with our whole hearts, souls, and minds. We have not loved our neighbors as Christ loved us. We have all too often lived by our own selfish impulses rather than by the life of the sacrificial love as revealed by Christ. We often give in order to receive. We love our friends and hate our enemies. We go the first mile but dare not travel the second. We forgive but dare not forget. And so we look within ourselves we are confronted with the appalling fact that the history of our lives is the history of an eternal revolt against you. But thou, O oh God, have mercy upon us. Forgive us for what we could have been but failed to be. Give us the intelligence to know your will. Give us the courage to do your will. Give us the devotion to love your will. And in the name and the spirit of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen.